Father, we echo those words as we've gathered this morning to worship that he is alive. And we praise you for that. We praise you that your son Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And that through his blood, we can be forgiven, that we are made righteous, that we can stand before you pure and clean through the blood of Christ. God, I pray that as we turn to your word now that um, you would open our eyes and our minds about um, this whole idea, what does it mean to gather as a church? What is a church? God, just speak to us and, and don't let us assume that we know all the answers. God, I pray that we would truly look to your word and what do you say? Thank you for each person who is here. I pray that you would do a unique work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, please come and fill this place. Challenge us, teach us, remind us, convict us, shake us, rattle us, bother us. That we wouldn't just be so content that we would respond to the stirring in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. If you need a Bible, just slip a hand up. We've got some ushers coming down the aisles. They'd love to get one in your hands, and you can borrow that. You can use it. If you need one at home, you can take it home with you. Acts 2, 42 through 45. You can also follow along on YouVersion, uh, the app, if you have that on your phone or tablet, and all the notes and everything are right in there. It's a pretty handy deal. I want to welcome those who are joining us online and traditions that kicks off today during the second hour and our Kindred campus that meets at 1030 for worship. Different venues, different campuses, one church for the glory of God. America has embassies all over the world. In every major recognized country, there is an American embassy. An American embassy is just a little bit of America a long way from home. Think of it like that. It's where the laws of America rule. So, so all American embassies are sovereign territories. They do not belong to the country that they're in. They belong to the country they're from. If you get in trouble, right, you've probably seen this in movies or you've heard this, if you get in trouble in another country, you wanna try and cross that embassy gate because the moment you cross that embassy gate, the law of America kicks in, not the laws of the country in which the embassy is located. God has an embassy in history. It's called the church. The church is God's embassy to bring the values of the homeland into foreign territory. The Bible refers to this world as foreign territory. The Bible makes it clear this world is not our home. Man, I, could, I need to be reminded of that of, of almost every day. This is not home. But God has set up shop in this world and he's done through what he calls the church. The church is not to represent the country that it is in, it's to represent the country that it's from. The entire point of the church is to represent God's kingdom. 
Thy kingdom come, you know this part of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so God orchestrates from the homeland through the church how he wants to present himself in the homeland, in the foreign land. The church has a decision to make. We have a decision to make. Will we adopt the worldview and the values of this country, the country that it is in, or will we cling to the values of the homeland? When the church waffles between the two, it causes great confusion for all those who are watching. First on your outline, if you're following along, a gathered church has purpose. Verse 42, Acts chapter two, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, meaning being together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're just gonna look at that, for that one verse right now. So, so the church is mentioned for the very first time in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? Do you remember that passage? Who, who do people say I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? And they're not dummies. They said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're uh, Jeremiah. Some people say that you're a prophet. And then Jesus asked a second question to them. But what about you? And he's looking at his disciples. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter was always the one with a quick answer, right? Not always the right answer, didn't answer always in the right way. But this is what Peter says. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This time, Peter nailed it. He identified Jesus as the Messiah, meaning the anticipated king, the anticipated ruler. Then Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. My father in heaven is the one who told you that answer. Simply to say this, Peter, you didn't just put two and two together. You didn't just grab that answer out of the air. It came from my father. And with this declaration, Jesus announces the church. Listen to this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Look at that promotion. He went from Simon to Peter right there because of, because of that answer. And this is what he says. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I will build my church on a celebrity pastor or I will build my church on the talent that's within it. Or I will build my church on everyone's personal preferences. He said, I will build my church. In Acts 5, 38 through 40, this is what it says. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or their activity is of human origin, it's gonna fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So what are we learning so far? That when it comes to the church, this is God's church. We are God's people. If what we're trying to do is of man, this church, the church, it will fail. 
It will collapse. Friends, I don't know if you, if you pay close attention or not to what's happening around our nation with several different churches. There are churches that have exploded that have been built on a certain person, let's say, and literally the very next day, the entire thing collapses. Jesus has taken the pressure off of us. Jesus said, I will build my church on a rock. Now, what does that mean? The word means a collection of stones. Stones, plural, that together can be bigger than any one stone alone. So the church is a rock, a collection of believers who together represent the kingdom of heaven on this earth. That's what we do. That's who we are. We, Bethel Church, are part of that rock. Purpose to represent the kingdom of heaven. Purpose to represent the kingdom of heaven in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families. As a church, we allow people just to taste, to, to get a glimpse of God's kingdom. We open the door for a timeless eternity to enter into time as we know it. We're saying to them, hey, take a peek here. And so verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Peter Drucker has a famous quote that says, you might know him or, or, or know his work. He says this, culture eats strategy for lunch. It's used in a business sense to say no matter, it doesn't matter how creative, how solid your strategic plan is, if the people who are executing it don't nurture the culture, it will never succeed. So what are we learning in verse 42? What we're learning is the culture of the church. Jesus laid it out for us. If we don't get the intended culture of the church, our fancy schmancy strategy will fail. It will collapse. And there will be one day, everything will be revealed for what it is. The culture of the church, according to Acts 2.42, is devotion, God's word, being together, remembering Christ's sacrifice, and seeking God's face. They almost sound like values of a healthy church, right? So God penetrated the culture of the world and introduced a new culture called the church. This new culture says this. Okay, I just want you to hear this. This new culture, the church, us, Bethel Church, that he has instituted says this. We love others as much as we love ourselves. We put other people's interests ahead of our own. We show fairness instead of showing partiality. We offer grace and mercy instead of condemnation and judgmentalism. We love unconditionally instead of hating. We forgive instead of holding a grudge. Do you see how the culture of the church is different? Uh, friends, something's going to be the culture and something's going to be the subculture. Either this is going to be the subculture within the culture, the bigger culture, or vice versa. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
people, believers, followers of me, this is the culture, that is the subculture. Make this priority. Jonathan Lehman, a co-author of Rediscovered Church, talks about the dangers of being disconnected from the church. When asked, why is it dangerous for someone to be disconnected from the church? Why is that so dangerous? And he says, well, why would it be so dangerous if a member of the family is disconnected from the family? And he goes on to say, being a part of a church is what we are. Being a part of a church is who we are. It's more than practical. It's more than convenient. It's ontological, meaning it's an identity. The church represents our true identity. Everything about the church, because it's based on scripture, points to our identity and our identity in Christ. He says, don't tell me you belong to the family if you're never at the dinner table. One danger, he says, is our discipleship. Just, just think about this, being disconnected from the body or being disconnected from the church. He says, here, let me just tell you about one danger. One danger is our discipleship. It could, be, it could become misshapen. Our Christian growth should be connected to a local church that's based on the word of God. Otherwise, it's just willy-nilly. You're, you could just be out there shaping your own walk with Christ by, by being on the internet or learning this and take a little bit of that, take a little bit of this, and pretty soon you're just all over the place. And I said, no, it has to be connected to a local church that's connected to the scriptures. That's one of the dangers. Where God's word is being taught, we're being together, we're remembering Christ's sacrifice and seeking God's face through prayer, our priority. Secondly, a gathered church experiences the presence of God. Verse 43 says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the presence of the living God can certainly be experienced in our individual lives, right? I would tell you that, absolutely. A believer, if you're a believer here and you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit at that very moment and therefore God is in you. God is in me, right? When the body gathers, right now, we're here, right? When the body gathers, it is acutely aware in a gathered church that I have moved from an individual that is indwelled to a gathering that is indwelled to a gathering that is influenced by the Holy Spirit. I can't think of a different way to describe it other than if you're a believer and you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit and you walk through that door, you're bringing the Holy Spirit with you, correct? Is that right? Yes? Right. You brought the Holy Spirit with you. And then another person comes in and they bring the Holy Spirit with them. And then another person comes in, they bring the Holy Spirit with them. And before you know it, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that are believers and followers of Christ that are indwelled with the Spirit in the same place at the same time. Guys, if we don't sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. 
Since the beginning, God has used his chosen people to reveal himself and his glory as though God is saying, this is what he's saying to a watching world. If you want to know what I'm like, imagine God saying this. If you want to know what I'm like, pay attention to my children. And what do we say? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't watch me and, and, and get your definition or decide what God is like. Uh, that was just my alter ego saying hi. God didn't say I will build my church so thousands of people can gather weekly in nice buildings for one hour and then just go about their life. There's something unique about this. There is a bond that runs deeper with, with fellow believers, sometimes deeper than, than biological family. This is what it says. Everyone was filled with awe. Together, we are filled with awe. Awe of what? In awe of the presence of God in this place. The many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, it wasn't about them. It wasn't about, what, hey, watch what I can do. No, it was about pointing everything to God. And what they experienced in community together was more than signs and wonders that resulted in miracles happening before their eyes. What they experienced was the power and the majesty and the glory of God in them and around them. They were in awe. What God wants to do in us and through us is so much greater than we have ever experienced. If I, we have experienced all that I or we can about God, if, if I've experienced everything I can about God and we've experienced everything we can about God, then I, frankly, I'm disappointed. If this is all there is, so to speak, I want more. I want more for you. What more for us? He is waiting for us to stand in awe of him. And that doesn't always involve some big grandiose thing that God's gonna do to get our attention, right? Sometimes it's the little things that we've learned to ignore or explain or take for granted or take credit for. When someone gets saved, we ought to be in awe of God. Not proud of ourselves because, oh, we used the right words or God put me in this place at the right moment and I led this person to Christ and we want to make it about us and we want to make it about the system that we used or the four spiritual laws or the Romans road or I said all the right words and look, this person gave their life to Christ. A person going from death to life is the power of God. And if we're here as a church and, and I were to bring somebody up here right now and say, hey, this person just surrendered their life to Christ, we ought to be in awe of the power of God and what he accomplished. When we look at this building, we ought to stand in awe of God for his provision. We are blessed to have this facility that we can use for his kingdom. When we worship on Sunday mornings, we ought to stand in awe of the one to whom we sing to and we sing about, not in awe of the talent that's on stage. My goodness, we have incredible talent, do we not? 
When you hear God's word preached, we ought to stand in awe of the inspired, inerrant word of God, not the presenter. So my question is, it's just a practical question. When you leave church, if you talk at all about church, what do you talk about? What's the conversation at the dinner table? Have you ever been to this church and when you walk in the doors from outside, from one culture to another culture, and you can just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you sense that right now? Let's refocus. Let's ask for and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand in awe when someone has a prayer request and God answers it. Let's stand in awe when God intervenes in someone's life. Let's stand in awe when God provides the basic needs for a family in this church using this family. Let's stand in awe when God rescues a marriage that's headed for the ditch. Let's stand in awe when a light bulb goes off in somebody and they, they understand the gospel for the very first time or, or some spiritual truth or biblical truth for the very first time and they're like one of those aha moments and we stand in awe of what the word of God accomplished in their life, the living, breathing word of God. Let's stand in awe when someone is freed from the vice grip of addiction. Let's stand in awe when someone from this family says, here I am, send me, I'll go. Let's stand in awe when someone steps out in faith. Let's stand in awe when somebody repents or when somebody returns. Do you see how easy it is to miss the presence of God? To just come in and go out. Do you see how easy it is to miss the presence of God. A gathering without the presence of God is like a football game with no players. It's like a restaurant with no food, a movie with no actors, <clears throat> a college with no classes, a high school with no teachers, a marriage with no spouse. What is this without the presence of God? Verse 44, a gathered church has commonality. Verse 44 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Ekklesia is the Greek word for the church in the New Testament. It literally means gathering. What verse 44 doesn't say is all believers were alone and had nothing in common. <clears throat> I wanna take it to the absolute extreme just to make a point here. It might sound like this. My house is your house. My car is your car. My backyard is your backyard. My bank account is your bank account. My time is your time. My talent is your talent. That's what it would have sounded like back then. 
Everything I have, nothing I have is my own. It's ours. All the believers were together and had everything in common. First, they were together. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I want you to listen very closely. To those of you who are here and those of you who are joining us online, I need you to hear this. I need you to hear, make sure you hear what I say. The availability of watching church online is amazing. Would you agree? You don't know this, but um, these screens and our cameras and all of that was purchased and installed right before the pandemic. We had no idea about the pandemic. So we were positioned to provide an amazing experience at home. It's amazing. I take advantage of it every time that I'm away, whether I'm on vacation or I'm at a conference, I'm with you guys. I don't miss a Sunday. It helps me feel connected. For those of you who are away and are maybe seasonal, either summer or winter for whatever reason, I'm glad that you are able to remain connected. Maybe you have a sick kid or you live too far away. Our online service is for you. Maybe there's a pandemic. Our online service is for you. Maybe you have extreme anxiety and you just cannot be in a crowd right now. Our online service is for you. However, there was an article written by Bill Nye's entitled, What's Wrong with Virtual Church? He says, the word virtual has come to mean occurring by a means of computer or internet but that it's derived meaning an extension of its more common definition. Until recently, the word virtual referred to something that was close to, but not fully, the real thing. In other words, virtual worship isn't fully real, it's close, but not quite. And if you've joined us online before, and those of you who are joining us online right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's awesome, it's great, but it's just not quite the same. Virtual church was never meant to be a substitute for the gathered church. It's hard to be separate and together at the same time. And I, I wanna encourage you to gather for in-person worship each week with us as much as you are able. And if you're not able for whatever reason, I love that you're joining us online. And this isn't, what I'm saying right now isn't meant to be shaming or a guilt trip. My goal this morning is simply to express God's intention for the gathered church. I'm just preaching the word. You know what? It's likely, I was listening to Pastor Gary up here. It's likely that there's going to be a day when we will not be able to do this legally. Can you even fathom that? It's happening all over the world. Why would it not happen here? 
There will come a day when we will not be able to walk through those doors legally. And many of us will be gathered together in homes. Maybe I'll show up, I don't know, and preach like we did during the pandemic and maybe I'm the only one here. Who knows what that would look like? It is true that the presence of the Holy Spirit is in us and we are in his presence wherever we're at. No, it doesn't matter where you go. You don't have to be in church, right? You're in his presence because you have the Holy Spirit. But there's a reason that scripture says this, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There's something about being together with a group of people who are seeking God together and who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, worshiping with others. All believers were together and had everything in common. And fourth, the last thing in scripture in this passage says, a gathered church is generous. Verse 45, it says this, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The culture of the church ought to be different enough from the culture that we live in that we genuinely care about one another. That we care about fellow believers who are suffering. That we care about those who are hurting and those who are struggling. Is that us? Is that describing us? I think so. We can continue to grow. The gathered church is not a building filled with people who are concerned with their own bank account, so concerned with their own bank account that they are literally willing to turn their head when they know that somebody is in need or suffering. That's not the gathered church. It's not a building filled with people who are so protective of their time that that we say, I have no spare time left to help serve the mission of God's church. God says, my people, my people are different. We're different. The culture of my church is different. It's not the same as the culture out there. If you are trying to use the assets that God has given you, think of your house, your car. If you're trying to use those things for him to further his kingdom, and a neighbor gets their feathers ruffled because they see it as an inconvenience, so be it. The culture of his church is always kingdom-minded and it takes precedent over the attitudes and the inconveniences and the disrespect and the rudeness and the hatred of this worldly culture. Guys, that was just another day in the office for Jesus. That was every day for him. I want you to picture something here for a second. Imagine that um, you're listening to me preach and there's a man sitting right here in the front row. And his name is Jesus. And while I was preaching, he kind of gets my attention. He's like, I'm hungry. And I were to say to you, uh, Jesus is hungry. What would you do? 
Most of you would be digging through your purse, you'd be you up out of your seat, you're to solid ground, you're going, through, you're going through drawers to find something, you're taking beef sticks out of my office, you're doing whatever you can do to find food, right? Because Jesus is hungry. And then he says, I'm, I'm thirsty, I can't, I need something to drink. Bam, we're all looking for a bottle of water to get to him, right? Or what if he says, I, when I leave here, I don't have a place to sleep. Jesus, come to my house. I've got an extra room. You can stay with me tonight, right? Or these are the only clothes I have. They're all torn and they're dirty and bam, we're shopping. Or if he says, I feel sick, I need to go to the hospital. You're going with them. Not only are you going with them, there'd be a whole hospital filled with Bethel people, right? I cannot imagine that we as a gathered church would be unwilling to meet the needs of Jesus if he were sitting right here in this service. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. That's the, that's the fourth characteristic of a gathered church. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? Then Jesus would stand up and he would say, the king will reply, truly I tell you, maybe he would stand up and turn and face all of us. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. It's a different way, friends. This is a different culture. The gathered church halves. The gathered church halves. Sacrifice to meet the needs of the have-nots. They took care of one another. I so appreciate you guys. I so appreciate this church. I love the fact that when we have communion Sundays, we take a benevolence offering. And that offering, you may not know this, that offering goes up by thousands. And we have thousands of dollars right now sitting in an account that says benevolence, that we are able to help people week in and week out. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It's us being indwelled with the spirit, living in a new culture, the church, and be willing to say to God, God, show me. How do you wanna use me today? When I leave here, how do you wanna use me? Let's be a gathered community who knows our purpose, who experiences the presence of God, who shares in commonality, and who takes care of our own. I'm gonna leave you with one thing, it's just a thought. God designed the gathered church 
as an embassy to bring the values of God's homeland into a foreign territory. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for meeting us in this place. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this gathered body of believers. And, and Lord, we know that there's people here right now that are not in the family. There's people here right now that, that have rejected you, that, that have not surrendered their life to Christ. We know that. Would you use us, the gathered body, to minister to those people so that they could see Jesus? And as you're stirring in them, the scripture says, as you're drawing them, that they would respond. They put two and two together. Maybe today's the day. Thank you, God, for your church. Thank you for this body. Thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. Amen.